What's happening? Corey Wong here with the brand new Wong Notes podcast. We have a sick first season. We have current and future legends of the guitar. Some of my heroes. Smash that subscribe button. Hit it, baby. Peace. This is Chris Keys for Premier Guitar. I'm joined by fellow Nashvilleian Luke Snyder. Luke, how you doing? I'm I'm doing all right. Um, you know, uh, a lot of stuff going on in the world right now. Right. But um, um, so you know, doing a lot of reflecting on all kinds of different things. But um, I'm happy to be here with you. And um, uh, this is really a dream come true. This is something I've I've been wanting to do. And uh, Premier Guitar is absolutely my favorite. Um, guitar uh, publication. So I'm honored to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you. We're honored uh, as well to have you because uh, as much as we love guitar and all instruments with strings, we don't get too often of a chance to talk to anyone with pedal steel. I think we've done Daniel Lenoir, uh, Jimmy uh, Barker from uh, Tyler Childers Band. So other than that, we haven't really talked to too many pedal steel, so this will be fun. Right on. Well, I hope that yeah, maybe this will encourage some some guitar players to take the uh, take the dive into the world of steel guitar. <laughs> well, obviously, a big reason we're talking to you now is you just released your first solo album, uh, "Altar of Harmony," on Third Man Records. But I think the best place to start will be actually what did get you into pedal steel and and what took you on this many string journey. Um. So I started playing guitar at 11 years old, and I was very influenced by the music my parents were listening to, the California country rock, Neil Young, uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, uh, Linda Ronstadt, um, the Eagles, and, and those sorts of things. Uh, I was also into, you know, early 90s grunge at the time, which was... Um, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and that kind of stuff, which Neil Young sort of had a foot in both of those worlds, and he kind of became my guy. Uh, I kept hearing steel guitar on, you know, Neil Young records and other records that my parents were listening to. And so even when I, um, sorry, let me turn, even when I um, was playing guitar, I knew I really wanted to play pedal steel, even at 11, I was fascinated by the instrument. Um, and so it just took me 10 years and in getting into college uh, to get the wherewithal and the resources to actually buy one. So uh, it, it was a long quest, but I finally got one. Did you buy that while you're at MTSU or when you moved up to town here? I was still at MTSU when I got my first pedal steel. Um, yeah, I was 21. It was summer of 2001. And at the time, I was a, a bellhop, a bellman at the Renaissance Hotel. And a lot of people watching this are probably familiar with the old Renaissance Hotel in Nashville for, through the NAM convention. Yep. And, and uh, 
so my first pedal steel that I bought was up at uh, Steel Guitars of Nashville, then owned by Bobby Seymour. And all of the money I made as a bellman at the Renaissance during the week of NAM in July of 2001, which was a lot of money. NAM was always the best week of the year for, for the bellhops. And um, I took all of my money, which was about 1500 bucks that I made that week, and went up and uh, bought a steel guitar, my first pedal steel, an old MSA pedal steel at, uh, at Steel Guitars in Nashville. That's awesome. And so what, yeah. when you got into the world of uh, steel and you had it at your fingertips and your knee, kneecaps, where did you take that, uh, I guess, cue musically? Did you, did you start back, you know, historically with Neil Young and obviously other players, uh, Don Helms, if you want to go all the way back to Hank, uh, Robbie Turner with Waylon, or, or was it more of you already pushing the envelope and wanting to do new sounds like you do on Alter of Harmony? So right away when I started practicing and I'm kind of like visualizing the room and where I was, I, I spent like six months just learning more classic techniques and just learning the basics of trying to <laughs> learn exactly what is going on with this instrument. <laughs> and um, I like went and found out back then, 2001, um, we only had VHS, you know, VCR players. So I had to go and try and find you know, VHS tapes and lessons. Um, so it was very much the basics. And at that time, I would say I was probably trying to most emulate, you know, Ben Keith, uh, Neil Young, steel player, but also a, a local player named Paul Niehaus who had played with uh, Lamb Chop and was playing with Lamb Chop at the time. Um, I was listening to a lot of country music at that time, especially uh, Hank Williams. So yeah, I. All, all of that stuff was in there too, but most especially, I think I was wanting to get to where I could play Ben Keith stuff in folky bands. I also had the influence at that time of, of Yola Tango and um, my buddy Valentine. Mm. And so in the back of my mind, I wanted to try and figure out how to go down that more ambient or shoegazy direction but I didn't have all of the pedals and tools and things. I mean, it took me quite a few years to really, you know, get the tools together in the arsenal um, together to, to create these sounds. Gotcha. Um, so that was in my head, but was I knew it was gonna take a while. Oh, gotcha. So uh, I guess I assume that this is not the one that you first bought, uh, the one that we're looking at right now, or is that the first one and only one you've ever had? Uh, no, so I have uh, currently I have two pedal steel guitars. Okay. This was not the first one that I that I bought. The first one was a, a mid '70s MSA uh, double neck um, pedal steel guitar. Uh, players are probably familiar with the MSA brand. Um, it was a good, solid, you know, kind of a budget brand, and still is. I I still recommend for anybody who like wants to maybe buy their first pedal steel a used msa mid-70s they're super heavy but they're really reliable and they sound pretty good um, so that was the direction i took under the advisement of bobby seymour who is kind of a legend uh legendary wheeler and dealer <laughs> if you will in in the pedal steel world um and i had that from yeah 2001 up until 2009 uh, when i got this guitar uh, and then I got another guitar, which I, I can show you if you want, uh, that is lighter. It's a single neck um, that I use for fly dates or, or for fly dates when I'm on the hook for, for the luggage charges. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but this was the guitar as I started to progress and really get deep into playing pedal steel. This was pretty close to the exact model that I wanted. Cool. And I should have done this at the head, but obviously people, if they listened to anything recently with Margot Price, their first two records, William Tyler, obviously with Modern Country was a great record. Uh, I just saw across the internets that you, you're lining up with Orbel Pack. So you're, you're, a, you're a dude that although has the, the ambient and kind of moody textures with your own solo stuff, is you have a foot yourself in the more traditional music that's out there right now. Yeah, I, um, that's always been my goal. I have a deep love for traditional country music. I also have a deep love for, you know, outlaw country and the kind of, you know, country soul, country funk kind of vibes that uh, that we were playing with Margot. I, um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the ambient shoegaze stuff has always been a part. So uh, with Orville Peck, um, who I've just kind of started working with in the, you know, the last eight or nine months, it's been kind of tweaking both of those worlds, um, going for, you know, David Lynch country vibes. Gotcha. Uh, and, and, um, that's, that's been fun to, to kind of go into that rabbit hole as well. Well, let's dive a little deeper on the one that, you know, the, your number one here that's sitting right in front of you. What year is it? What mm -hmm. make is it? And uh, like, kind of walk us through what the setup is and the tuning. Sure. Um, this is a 1967 uh, Emmons. Uh, it's a push-pull model, which most pedal steel guitarists um, know the Emmons models from like 63 or 64 until about 82 are known as push-pull models. Um, and that refers to how uh, these guitars work mechanically under the guitar. Um, it, it, the tuning is, I play the, it's an E9 neck up on top. I have a few little different things. Um, this is kind of, it's an Emmons setup. Uh, I'm throwing a bunch of term, pedal steel terminology. <laughs> but but um, uh, it, it's an Emmons setup in terms of how I've got the, the pedals uh, arranged and what pedals do what. Uh, and the knee levers are kind of like a, a Franklin setup in that I have a double unison uh, on my um, right knee to the left um, lever. The, uh, but yeah, then the, the C6 neck is, I have tuned slightly differently. Um, the ninth string I, I, I have set up to do play a big power chord and that's good for doing big ambient drones. Gotcha. Um, and, and I'll use, I have a little bar that I use for, uh, as a capo that I found like a perfect little, um, diameter to use as a capo for this. And this is where I do a bunch of my low, uh, low stuff, but I guess back to the guitar. Um, yeah, 1967 Emmons push pull the model number, which is important to push pull, uh, collectors and and you know aficionados. It's model number eleven eighty five D, and uh, yeah, it's there are three different push pull kind of designs in nineteen sixty seven. There was the cut tail, uh, the, it was uh, the wrap around, and I believe they were still making bolt on models in sixty seven, and uh, these are just all like little tiny differences in the model, uh, and this is a uh, a cut tail model. This is, and I'm just saying this just for the, uh, for the push pull, <laughs> uh, nerd, nerd, nerds out this there. This is a, a place where you can educate us, uh, uh, six stringers is 
What, what is the benefit of having the push-pull model and then specifically with you and the Franklin uh, setup with the levers, the knee levers? Like what, what does that mean and what does it afford okay. you as a musician? Sure, sure. Okay, so, so I guess, so the push-pull was um, a Buddy Emmons, kind of his, his vision for how the guitar should work mechanically. The, um, the, I don't know, the analogy that I like to use is so like 90% of the vehicles on the road are gasoline engines and then 10% of them are diesel engines. And I guess now we're starting to have electrics, but uh, with pedal steel guitars, 90% of the pedal steel guitars are what we call all pole design. And that refers to how they work mechanically underneath the guitar. Mm -hmm. um, 10% of them roughly are what we call push pull design guitars. And the push pull design was made by Buddy Emmons um, and his team and the Emmons company. And they were made from, like I said, around 63, 64, up until the early 80s. Um, the push-pull de mechanical design, um, it's it's way a lot more complicated than an all-pull design. Um, but Buddy, the design was so that when you press on, and I'm kind of paraphrasing and simplifying this, but yeah. if you press on, if you press on the pedals that the guitar will open up rather than kind of seize up, which uh, on, on, on all pole guitars sometimes, you know, when you press on the pedals, the whole guitar wants to bind together and you're putting, you know, whereas with a, with a push pull, everything kind of releases and sort of resonates when you, when you press on the pedals or when you're, you know, kind of playing it. Some pedal steel guitarists out there who are watching this might disagree and have qualms, but to me that's, uh, that's the beauty of the push-pull instrument. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, um, you know, Showbud was kind of one of the original mass-marketed pedal steel guitars, and the Bud stands for Buddy Emmons. And Buddy wanted to go to this, this mechanical design, and he, um, you know, there was some pushback between him and Shot, him and Shot Jackson, and Buddy was like, well, I'm going to go make my own company and use the design <laughs> I want to do, and that's kind of where this came from. So um, that's a, a brief history of what the push-pull means. Gotcha. Uh, there's, a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of players out there who will only play Emmons push-pulls. I play, you know, a, a show bud that's an all-pole guitar. Um, but, you know, I, I like them both. Uh, a, a great pedal steel guitar is a great pedal steel guitar. But there's, I started to notice that a lot of my favorite players, Ben Keith, um, Weldon Myrick, John Huey, uh, Buddy Emmons, uh, a lot of them were playing the 1960s Emmons push-pulls. Uh, Greg Lees, who is, you know, I think has the best tone in the world, and he plays a few different guitars, but he's got a 66 bolt-on uh, push-pull that, that, to me, I think is the best sounding guitar in the world. Mm. And, uh, and uh, so I wanted to have that sound, and it took me a few years to save up for, for this, and eventually I was able to, to find the model, you know, as close as I could to the model that I wanted. <laughs> well, that's that's <laughs> fantastic. And uh, I guess before we move on to the amps behind you and your pedals sit alongside yeah. you there is uh, if you want to briefly mention some of the special guitars that are on the wall behind you, because I know that you also play guitar. Oh, I've oh. seen you play with Margo. I've seen you play with Teddy and Rough Riders. Yeah, I, I wasn't. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. Um, you know, obviously Jamie Davis and Jeremy Ivey were sort of the main guitar players with Margo's band. Um, 
but I played a little guitar here and there. Uh, this one, let me see if I can pull off. Uh, this is a, a thin line uh, that was gifted to me by the Fender Musical Corporation. And um, I had, it's a, it's a great guitar, I love it. It's, and it's just like, I think, I think these are made in Mexico. I went and had all the hardware upgraded. I had Lawler, uh, the Jason Lawler, um, his thin line humbucker pickups put into it uh, that I love. Like the wide it's range just, pickups? The wide, yeah, the wide range. I couldn't remember the name yet. Oh, gotcha. okay. uh, I, I'm a big fan of, 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 of Lawler pickups. And um, I had a, a, a black pickguard put on it. But I've played this on, I don't know, two or three Margo songs. Um, I like... But this I usually keep um, in either open G or I guess standard. But when I was with Margot, I was playing this in open G a lot, um, mostly. Um, I've also got this thin skin um, jazz master. And this I got when I was playing with an artist named Courtney Tidwell. I bought this from the uh, custom shop. And I think, I guess 59 Thin Skin is what it is, but I had this totally souped up as well with um, the Mastery Bridge. And um, I, again, I got the Waller Jazzmaster pickups on it. I think he's got a few different ones. I can't remember which one it is, but, uh, and then this, yeah, it's about 10 years old. This has like that, that nitro paint job on it. So it, it will kind of start to wear in eventually. Um, but that's a, this is a really cool thing. Um, it's beautiful. Let's see. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Uh, that This acoustic, I don't know if you can see it, is this is actually the first guitar that my dad ever, mom and dad ever bought for me oh, for Christmas. It's awesome. I, a, cheap little, a cheap little Alvarez, and I turned it, I wasn't playing it, it's kind of so cheap, but I turned it into a high strung in Nashville too. Okay. Um, and it, to me, I was like, well, how would I play this and get the most use out of it? And I was like I'm gonna turn it into a high strung, and then I'll play it all the time. So uh, that's what, I, and it's just you know cheap little '90s Alvarez. Uh, I've got I don't know if you can see it. That SG up there yeah. is honestly that's what I've been playing most of the time lately, um, and that's like the autumn shade finish. I think they call it. That was gifted to me by the Gibson folks, and I had there's a uh, a pickup maker in Atlanta named um, Alex Avedishian. I hope I'm pronouncing that the right way, but he makes pickups and um, he kind of sort of did a custom wound thing for me for that. I told him I was going for the Derek Trucks vibe. Okay. And he, and uh, so that I keep exclusively in open G. I've played that with Teddy and the Rough Riders. I've played that with, I think I played that with Aunt, with Margo a little bit. Um, I may have played that for some shows, but that is almost exclusively open G. So uh, this little Telecaster over here, that's the first electric guitar I ever bought. It's awesome that you still have that <laughs> um, in your acoustic. That's cool when people have those yeah, instruments. Yeah, I want to, I, that, I, I want to talk to Lawler about getting some new pickups. That's got the original pickups in it, and I don't play it as much be these days because I'm just not happy with. I wish I, it needs hot, some hotter um, pickups in it. But and I don't know what else. Is I got my banjo back here. Let me show you one really cool thing though, yeah, yeah. really quick. Um, let me see if I can get up here. Is I have. This is one of my favorite things, and I 
Um, this is a 1939 um, wow. Rickenbacker lap steel. Uh, this it's like the first, like one of the iterations of the frying pan. Yeah, yeah. This was yeah. This was a li I think a little later than the frying pan. Yeah. Um, but uh, B6, the pan or the Panda model, some people will call it. I always wanted one of these to get the David Lindley, you know, that Jackson Brown or you know that just that classic David Lindley uh, lap steel sound. And uh, uh, my uncle found this and, and 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 got it for me, and I had it. You had to get to pick up recharged, but uh, I was able to play this on an upcoming record by uh, Jesse Coulter. And uh, record's not out yet, but um, it, it, it sounded it sounded amazing on it. And I uh, I love this little lap steel. These are probably the most sought after lap steel, so they're not cheap, but they're worth it. There's just something special about these. That's a good they, uncle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Uncle Steve. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I've, I've uh, used this on, you know, I guess a little bit with Margo here and there, but was able to get it on, I think, one or two tracks on this upcoming Jesse Coulter record, and I can't wait for folks to hear that. So, um, yeah, these are awesome. These are, this is the lap steel to have. So, um, anyway. But, yeah, that's that's kind of the guitar wall. I mean, there's a few other things up here, but. That's the stuff. That's the cool stuff, I guess. So. All right. Well, um, let's move on to amps. I see you got two, at least two sitting by you there. Uh, from my view, is I'm, I'm assuming I see one's a Fender. I can't tell what the other one is. So just tell us what's going yeah, on there. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's going to be possible to see back here, but um, yeah, this is. So this is my main amp. I've got this about 10, 12 years ago, and. This is a really special amp. Um, I usually do play in stereo, uh, and with most of the touring I was doing with Margot, I was playing in stereo. Um, that's and with all of the ambient uh, stuff that I do, I play always in stereo. I just, you know, I've got effects that I want to be ping ponging. Um, but this is the main guitar that I use for sessions. Um, if I'm playing around town, or excuse me, main amp that I use. Uh, when I'm playing around town um, or sessions or whatever. And this is a 1968 Drip Edge, an original 68 Drip Edge uh, Fender Twin, and it has a JBL D130 in it, so a uh, one 15-inch speaker, uh, also original uh, speaker from 68. And this is just a really, really special amp. I When I got it, it was in museum shape <laughs> and uh, in the past 10 years, I've dragged it all over the country and dragged it all over town doing sessions and shows. And now it is, it looks like it's been on the road for 10 years yeah. now. But I mean, I figure, you know, it was meant to be played. So, um, but it's got the, the fit. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what do you dig about this? Because, uh, you know, people in the Fender circles just have opinions just like everyone does is, a lot of people will say black face over the silver face. So what do you personally like about the, the silver face? For, so for for pedal steel, uh, I, the silver faces, I think, are a little better. They, there's more headroom. The black face will, will break up a little bit. Now, if I'm playing like with a, you know, for going for more of a rock and roll and a blues kind of vibe, maybe a black face might be better. I wish I could, I wish I had, you know, the money to own one. But, yeah. Um, 
the the 68 the, the 68 drip edge supposedly i think were like a lot of blackface circuitry and caps and stuff in it um but uh, i've had this recapped by a great uh amp technician named john capito here in nashville and it, it's kind of like it's just it's just got that special 68 kind of sound but the, yeah the, the silver faces i think for steel are a little bit better because they give you more clean headroom than a black face does now having said that you know a black face is still a great amp and i could still probably yeah. probably make it work for pedal steel so um but the one of the really special thing about this was it has uh the 15 the jbl d130 the 15 inch speaker in it which in the late 60s uh lloyd green who was probably the most in-demand pedal steel player at that time in nashville or really anywhere uh he was playing everything through like a, i think a bandmaster head and then like a separate 15 inch speaker cabinet and uh so every at that point every pedal steel player in the world had to go out and get uh an amp with a 15 inch speaker in it and um it's just something it just gave some more i think you know throaty beefy kind of sound to the instrument and um i once you once a steel player starts playing through a 15 it's kind of hard to go back to a 12. yeah um and uh so yeah it's some i got this from somebody in san antonio it and it was pretty original so at some point in the late 60s some steel player took their twin and got a new baffle made and put that d130 in it and i'm glad they did because it's mine now and this is the amp that's been on um I played this on, you know, the Orville Peck stuff or the new Orville Peck EP that's out now. Um, I played this with Margot. I uh, played that amp with Lily Hyatt, um, Teddy and the Rough Riders. Uh, all of the big sessions that I've done, um, this, yeah, 68 Drip Edge is what what I've used. So. Well, Luke, can we can we hear some of it before we start dipping into your effects? Kind of hear hear just a straight straight amp sound. Yeah, 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 sure. All right. So this is um, kind of my standard. This is kind of my standard steel tone, or maybe this is. I've kind of got two standard settings, um, at least for reverb. Well, I guess three. I've got like a standard plate, which is this kind of sound that comes through this twin here. Ease back the treble a little bit here. But yeah, I mean. Um, so are you using that amp reverb or are you using a pedal? No, I, so I, I, I pretty much only use um, pedal reverb. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of one. And then if I'm going for more of like a, a wet sound, I'll... So yeah, that's kind of the, the the twin sound right there. <laughs> and before we get too far into pedals, Luke, what's the other amp over your right shoulder? And, and I imagine we're oh, not currently hearing that. Uh, yeah, no, not now. Well, actually, I guess we are. So, I usually use um, uh, uh, 
So this amp, this six, original 68 drip edge is usually on my left. And then on my right, I usually have one of the reissue 68s that uh, Fender hooked me up with. Um, so I've got the original and I've got the <laughs> reissue. Unfortunately, the reissue um, is being worked on right now. It's just a needed a tube job. And I was hoping it would be out of the shop by today, but it wasn't. So I'm just using a little, this is just a, uh, a little hot rod deluxe um, that I, I use as a backup. So nothing special, just your standard hot rod deluxe. But uh, for a minute there, when Fender was making the 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 drip edge uh, reissues, mm -hmm. um, that I was, they were like, man, because I, I kept telling uh, uh, the the folks at Fender, I was like, I was like, okay, I've got the one. I want to go to stereo, and I've got the one sixty eight original and I was like you guys are making the new ones I was like it would be cool to have like matching amps um, even though like you know different circuitry and stuff yeah. so so that's what I usually use uh, it, it's not here right now but um, gotcha. uh, yeah yeah so but have yeah this ever... is just your stand mm -hmm. oh sorry so it's just a standard DeVille yeah gotcha mm -hmm. yep. what have mm -hmm. you uh, have you ever messed with speaking of Fender have you messed with their Tone Master series they just released which is kind of like oh, I, their modeling, I think. It's like it's geared towards pedal steel players or even Nashville specific because it's. Oh yeah, I you know I've heard of, I've heard about those, but I haven't been able to uh, to spend any time with them. I would I'd love to. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I will always probably be a Fender amp guy. Um, you know, my friend Jeremy Fetzer from Steelism, uh, the guitar player in Steelism, uh, he's always. He's always saying nothing beats an old Fender. Nothing beats an old Fender, <laughs> and and I, there's a lot of great amp companies out there who I would you know like to uh, to try and experiment with. Uh, Milkman uh, makes some really nice uh, tube amps geared for pedal steel players, and um, uh, Little Walter. Those are great tube amps geared for steel players. Um, and then I mean even the PV you know the, the PV amps, the solid state amps are great amps. Uh, for steel players, and I've been meaning to get one of those as well. To whenever I want to get that more modern sort of, um, I don't know, more of like radio Paul Franklin pop country kind of sound. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Fender amps tend to help me get into that '60s '70s, um, really you know, cutting and sort of bright uh, sound. Um, the hippie steel sound. <laughs> uh, uh, but, and, uh, I don't know. I, 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 I just like that Fender twin, um, foundation tone. And then from there, uh, I can sculpt whatever, uh, whatever tone I'm going for. Um, well, that's on top of that. Well, that's perfect, man. Let's see the tools that you're sculpting with and uh, talk, okay. us, talk us through your, I guess, uh, flanking pedal okay. board you got. All right. Well, I'm, um, we'll get back to the back. so talking about the signal flow here um, directly coming out of the guitar and what I'm holding down here is a, uh, a Hilton volume pedal I've got a third man sticker uh, on the front of it but uh, so most steel players or I guess you know every steel player has to have a volume pedal um, and this one is a powered volume pedal that uses a laser to, um, you know, control the volume. Uh, what happens, a lot of steel, 
some steel parts that are starting out will just use like an Ernie Ball volume pedal. Mm -hmm. The problem with those is the pot wears out really quick for us when we're like, you know, just on the pedal so much. Uh, and there are some, uh, like Good Rich, I think, is a company that makes uh, like really nice pot-based uh, volume pedals. Um, but the, the, a lot of the pot volume pedals will will wear out really quick and get scratchy so um there is an option for powered volume pedals that don't use potentiometers and this is one of them uh there's another company that i'm really interested in in trying out one of theirs uh called Tolonix, and they make like really high-end super beefed up hot rotted <laughs> volume pedals um <laughs> for st for steel players and so um hopefully one day i'll be able to to, to get one of those. But from there, um, I go into a, uh, a tuner, uh, the, uh, uh, the turbo tuner mini. Um, and that is programmable for my, uh, for my steel, um, tuning. It, we, most steel players use like a sweetened tuning or a, a tempered tuning, and I can program that into the turbo tuner. Um, and yeah, it, it, it works great. Uh, coming out of the tuner, I go into my overdrives. Um, the Timmy uh, is kind of my base foundation overdrive, and I leave that on quite a bit. Um, I would say 80 to 90% of the time it's on, and that's just, I'm using it more of a, of a, as a boost than anything, just to hit the tubes of the amps a little harder. Um, maybe give it just a little bit of like a, you know, kind of a compressor, like classic compressor, like LA-3A or um, 1176 kind of like, you know, bite to it. Um, Can we hear that? Maybe that, the, the difference? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I was playing with it off earlier. And let me turn it on here and give it a little. So this is with it off. Um, So that's with it off, and then when I turn it on, it just gives it like a little bit of a... Um, it just gives it kind of what I'm, what I'm trying to go for is like a, you know, just a light 60s kind of bite to it. Um, but I think the problem that I have is a lot of like the you know you go on to the the gear message boards and what work what they recommend for you know overdrives for six string guitar are completely different from what works on pedal steel when you're dealing with you know a big steel bar and these super hot wound you know really really bright pickups uh that that the emmons push poles have so it's always a challenge to find you know something that sounds good with this um mm -hmm. But what do you, what the do you think Timmy, the Timmy does? What do you think the Timmy, either circuitry or tonally, that you hear that sits well with the steel? It's the most. It, it's the most transparent um, to me, uh, at least for this. Mm -hmm. And it does. You know, I'm I'm mostly using. I, I mean, I'll crank it up and and like get it to drive a good bit. But for, but it, 
I've tried a whole bunch of other, you know, like to me for my guitar and for my setup, I, I just prefer this to the Klon. And I mean, I've tried them all, all of the low gain overdrives. Um, like for example, there's a, the Barber Gain Changer I tried for steel guitar, didn't sound and didn't beat the Timmy, but for like for that SG, the Barber Gain Changer actually sounds better than the Timmy. So it's, it's, it all, you know, it all, it all depends. Um, so I've, I've had to do a lot of experimenting and trying to find the right, the right pedals for, for the, the, this pedal steel specifically. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, and then out of the, the Timmy, um, well, I've kind of got this, I, I usually go directly from the Timmy into uh, Wampler Ecstasy. Uh, and that's for like Dumble kind of vibes. I, I'll use that Rickenbacker lap steel, um, a lot with the Wampler, um, Euph I guess ecstasy or euphoria, whatever you want, you want to call it. Um, and the, yeah, I, I, I've tried a lot of the Dumble pedals and I have had the most success and I, I don't know, I like the sound of this, of this Wampler euphoria the best. Um, and it, it's got a nice saggy feel. Um, that's the thing that I'm always going for when I start stepping up from the Timmy and more into like mid and high gain kind of uh, sounds. I tend to like the really saggy kind of kind of sounds. And so the the Wampler Euphoria has that. Uh, and yeah, it's just great for that sag, kind of like saggy sort of dumble. Let's hear some of that sag. Um, okay, sure. Let's see here. This might get loud. <laughs> uh, uh, let me let me get this set up here. So that's that's kind of a you know little bit. Um, yeah. I, uh, I yeah, like I said, it's like that pedal specifically is like a good mix between you know like a, a saggy um, uh, tweed kind of sound and a dumble, mm. and that's um, that's kind of like always the the vibe that I'm going for. And um, yeah, it's good for you know yeah the bluesier kind of stuff or you know neil young crazy horse kind of tones and and that sort of thing so that's um that's one that i go for um and then I, usually i have for like super high gain like marshall plexi vibes i usually have a, a, a cattle and bread dirty little secret um and it just actually broke right now i broke it and it's getting fixed but i also have a cattle and bread formula 55 that uh, is that more of a tweed kind of vibe, less martial than the Dirty Little Secret. And um, that I, I also like to use for like, you know, like high gain stuff. Like the Margot song, um, uh, Four Years of Chances, is 
kind of when I would really click on like just like super super heavy saggy kind of um, sounds and just kind of yeah shred. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you want to hear that. We'll, yeah, we'll let's hear it, man. I want to hear it. Yeah. So that so this is a Formula Fifty Five and. Like I said, usually it would be the the dirty little secret, but this is kind of close. Or well, kind of. Finger picks are getting loose here. I'm kind of, but uh, you can play it down on this low neck too, on the C6 neck, and get like just really almost like deep fuzz kind of vibes. That's, the, that's cooking. That's a cooking sound. That, yeah, that's the that's the cattle and bread Formula Fifty Five, which um, for that tweed, that saggy tweed vibe is um, is what I've been using lately. Again, I I don't have them set up right now, but I, I usually stay in like aside from the Timmy, I usually stay in Wampler world or in cattle and bread world. Uh, the dirty little secret I use a lot. Um, I've got a Zvex uh, Fat Fuzz Factory that I use when I'm trying to get the uh, like the Sneaky Pete um, fuzz kind of uh, you know like hippie steel fuzz kind of vibes. So mm -hmm. um, I don't have that set up right now either. But um, this is well, I guess what I have going right now is more of like my uh, my ambient setup. But these are gotcha. all of these all of these overdrives are what I've used with Margo in the past. So. Uh, but so coming out, that's the overdrive section. And then coming out of are you, there, are you sorry to interrupt you, Luke? I was yeah, just so, gonna add, are you, so just to clarify, when you're running the Timmy, you said 80 to 90 percent of the time, are you uh, mm -hmm. stacking the other two drives, or when those other two drives, the Wampler or the Catalan bread, the, the Timmy drops off? So sometimes it kind of just depends on how I'm feeling. Uh, I would say maybe the majority of the time I'm stacking it. Uh, stacking like the the Wampler Euphoria or the Dirty Little Secret or the or the Formula 55 on the on top of the Timmy, um, 
Yeah, I would say the majority of the time, yes, I'm stacking, but not always. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I just want, like, if I really want just that pure tweed sag sound, um, then I probably won't go through the Timmy right off the top. Gotcha. So, um, uh, and I should have asked before, this shows my uh, ignorance to the, to the pedal steel world, because uh, it's really important to you guys, is the steel bar you're using, what kind you're using, mm -hmm. and why you use that one in particular, and then your finger picks. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so this is uh, this is a, a more of actually more of like a 12 string bar. This is basically about as heavy and as big and as large of a bar as you can find in the pedal steel manufacturers. This was given to me by Bobby Seymour. Again, the the the, you know, kind of a, a pedal steel entrepreneur who passed away uh, some years ago, but uh, it, he gave this to me at his shop and um, it's a 12 string bar. So it's really, like I said, really heavy and large. I like that it's heavy because I feel like it gives me a little bit more sustain. Um, and I don't know, I just like the feel of a heavier bar on the strings. I feel like I have to press down uh, less um, than a lighter bar. Now, a, a lighter bar will allow you to play faster. So I've definitely, you know, as far as your ability to like move up and down the fretboard. So it's taken me a lot of practice to be able to play fast with this. If, you know, if I can. But, um, but yeah, uh, I like a big heavy bar. Um, I've got two or three different sizes, but this is what I use most of the time. Um, the the picks, so these are the picks that the famous uh, pedal steel teacher, Jeff Newman, uh, he always recommend to go get uh, old, what the old national brand finger picks. Um, and they're, the, the national brand finger picks are really like thick and coarse, if that's a <laughs> word you can use, and kind of unwieldy. And, but they, they have like a thin sort of, um, strip around the fingers that let you, I don't know, they let you dig into the strings a little bit more without interfering into what you're trying to do. So this, when I was starting out, I was watching a lot of, of Jeff Newman videos and he was like, get yourself some national finger picks rather than the Dunlops, which I love the Dunlop company and their accessories. But for steel, the national finger picks, um, the old timers seemed to recommend they were the best. And now I couldn't, possibly play anything else gotcha. so um that's what these are cool well let's get um, back to our normally scheduled pedal programming yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um out of the uh out of the uh overdrives i um i go into the uh, electro harmonics world which is and this is again this is like the ambient setup that and i maybe should like denote that really quick is that this is the setup that I use for my my own new age ambient sounds uh, with Margot and with Orville Peck and you know when I'm doing sessions around town or whatever I tend to use more of a rock and roll setup and I wouldn't have um, these uh, electro harmonics pedals hooked up but for now um, I out of the overdrives I would go into the electro harmonic synth nine which has been a godsend for me in the music that I've been making. Um, it allows me to, uh, to, yeah, get synthesizer sounds, classic synth, analog synth sounds out of a pedal steel. And, and we gotta hear this. I love I've, it. I've never heard, okay. 
I've never okay. heard this pedal through a pedal steel. Oh, okay. Well, um, let me. Get, it might take me a second to get it exactly how I like it, but uh, let me see if I can get like the old uh, mini Moog sound, like that Cars, um, or I don't know, just classic. Let me see what I can do. <laughs> So that's um, that's kind of like the mini uh, Moog setting, and it's got like the glissando uh, effects that you can dial in and out of it. But um, each one of these nine settings on the Synth 9 has different characteristics. Some of these I use for like soloing, um, not often, but and then others I'll use more for pads. Um, there's like a Prophet 5 setting on here that, that I'll use more when I'm padding. Um, See if I can show that really quick here. doing this on the fly it may not sound all that great but um, I love it that yeah that's like uh, I'm very particular so but that uh, there's a few different settings on here that I use when I'm making pads kind of like that and then a few that I would use like if I'm trying to do like a solo run or something um, it's I, I boss just came out with uh, their own synth pedal and I like that a lot as well uh, the best thing about that is it has an arpeggiator on it. I've got it around here somewhere. Yeah, I think it's but, the S um, SY300. Yeah, yeah, I've got it around here somewhere. Anyway, um, I really like the arpeggiator on that. That's the one thing that the Electro Harmonics Synth 9 doesn't have is an arpeggiator. I think I kind of like the tones that are coming out of the Synth 9 a little bit more, but, um, but yeah, so I, I'll use this you know, to try and get those classic 70s, 80s, new age sounds. Um, uh, you know, that's that's what I use the Synth 9 for. Um, coming out of that, I'll go into the uh, Electroharmonics Mel 9. Um, and that's what, um, it, again, a pedal that I use a lot. And I use this on, uh, there's two songs that I use this on my record. Um, use this for on my record and 
one is the orchestra setting that I ran through like a Leslie simulator, which I, I'll show you later. And then another one is like a high choir setting. And it's really cool. Let me see if I can show you that really quick. Yeah, um, what's, what were the two songs, Luke, for people? Uh, so the um, Antiludium is what I used like the, the high choir setting for. I used that as a pad. That's the first then, song, right? Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the first song on side two, Mundi Tum Est, these are all, they're all Latin titles. Um, that's what I used uh, the orchestra setting on. I can give you a little taste, I guess, cool. of those. Um, but uh, let, me, let me see here. It's easier for me to take the headphones off when I'm playing. <laughs> no sweat. Um, okay. So yeah, that's, um, I mean, I don't know. That's not a great version of what I usually do, but uh, yeah, that's the Mel 9 um, with the effect pretty much all the way up. And then um, the other effect that I, I mean, I use all of them on, on the Mel 9, but the other one that I really like to use, I'll show you this really quick too, is the, um, is the orchestra setting. And let me get this dialed in here real quick. I've got a, a slow Leslie simulator on the Strymon Mobius, which I'll okay. I'll, I I think I came up I think I came up with this myself for that setting. But when you run, uh, I, this was kind of inspired by seeing Andrew Bird back in the day, and I played in a band that opened for him, and he had these these huge big like rotary speakers up on stage with him, and I think he still uses them or at least one of them, and he would like loop his his violin. Uh, and get this big stack of violins and then he would run it through this Leslie and I have always wanted to try and kind of recreate that and um, Yeah, so this is kind of like Where where that's coming from? Let me see here Let me just so yeah, that's the thing about my ambient setup is is, is I, There's a lot of different things that trigger different things and so I've got to make sure it's all set right um, For it to sound the right way let me see what I got here. All right, let's see if this works.
so so that's a um yeah that's kind of an example of uh another like pad type sound that i'll use as uh as a basis and that's like the vibe that was in uh mundi to a mast which is i guess the fifth track on my record uh I have a question it's, for it's just trying oh sorry go, go ahead. ahead finish go your ahead. thoughts sorry i was interrupting you. oh no the, uh, it's just yeah it's just supposed to sound like an or orchestra through leslie <laughs> <laughs> Is I, I, I've, I've listened to this record numerous times and I've even actually I've done yoga with it with my girlfriend listening oh, to awesome. it. And so I, as, awesome. as the music kind of washes over as the listener in a meditative state almost, I'm curious to you if you were in a meditative state creating this music and then also how much of it was spontaneous or was scripted out to you as you created and recorded. Uh, so... There's a few things on the record that I was definitely like, so for example, like that specific sound, that's something that I had been like playing with um, a lot, you know, over really since this record came out or since this pedal came out. And I like, you know, I was like, I've got to get the right take and get this to sound exactly how I want it. And um, so there were, there were that and a few other things on the record were like, sounds and tones that I had been playing around with um, for quite a while. Uh, there are other things on the record that were totally spontaneous, that are me just kind of like taking my time of day to sort of, yeah, like meditate and you trance out and go into this, you know, deep state of focus um, and and I would just kind of like maybe press record on a on my looper, and then I would keep it. I was like, man, I want to keep that. Yeah. Um, the recording process mostly was, um, you know, like me laying down pads like that, like I just showed you, and then uh, kind of trying to find melodies or improvising melodies on top of it, and then editing those all together to tell a story or to, um, you know. Uh, edit it together to like do a whole arc and a vibe and take people on on a trip so it's very cinematic um, yeah well I'm I so when I first I guess in in the you know 2010 or I don't know 2000 2000s <laughs> around the turn of the century when I was in my 20s I was also I was doing a lot of screenwriting uh, and I thought that before before I kind of became a pedal steel player full time, I thought I would be a screenwriter. And so uh, movies and cinema um, are a huge influence on me. And um, I would like to start making my own videos and own films, short films for these pieces. So um, maybe that's the next step. But I appreciate that compliment because uh, yeah, cinema is, uh, you know, in, films from the 60s and 70s and just classic cinema in general is a huge influence on the music that I'm making. It's funny how important that kind of flow and uh, I guess responsiveness the music has to have when we d aren't dependent on lyrics. So it's whether whether it's something as ambient and kind of trancey like this or something more akin to like post-rock that you, whether it's Pelican Red Sparrow, which is a band that uh, used pedal steel, uh, Explosions in the Sky, those bands all tell stories through their songs and albums that don't even need a word at all. Yeah, ex exactly. I, um, 
and uh, yeah, like I said, some songs are like, you know, ver a very specific vibe and a theme. And then other things just kind of come spontaneously or I'll lay down this pad spontaneously and then, you know, play melodies or solo over it spontaneously. And then we edit it. And but yeah, there's always a very specific like feeling or emotion that I'm trying to um, that I'm trying to present with with each of the pieces. Um, it, for me, like when, when I was recording the bulk of this record, I, uh, you know, I was kind of falling in love. Well, I was definitely falling in love. And so uh, like every night, like my, my girlfriend at the time would be, you know, cooking dinner. And then now while she was cooking, I would be sort of making these, these, these pieces and these soundscapes. And um, the best of that stuff, uh, a lot of the best of that stuff is what is on the record. And so- um, You should almost be like a restaurateur and have dishes <laughs> that match the music that you're playing off in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, 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 I it, it is my dream. So I've got a collection of classic uh, ambient and new age records. It is my dream to be uh, like a ambient and new age DJ at a restaurant somewhere. Uh, and I think people would love that. Uh, you know, it's like so many restaurants you go into and they're like just, you know, pumping, you know, whatever, you know, rock and roll loud. Or, 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 or house music or whatever, which is fine. I mean, a lot, you know, you go out on a Friday night, you want to like have a groove while you're, you know, hanging with friends and stuff. But I feel like there's also situations where maybe it's like a Sunday brunch where like you've got a hangover and it's like, man, I just need to chill out. And so, yeah, uh, I would love, you know, if it's my music, if, if somebody wants me to come in and play pedal steel live at their restaurant, I'll do that. If they want me to like spin great new age records, I'll do that too. <laughs> have you ever done a, a new age hour at uh, Dukes, I know that you've DJed at Dukes before. Yeah, uh, I I've DJed at Dukes, but when I did not no ambient or new age, uh, <laughs> they 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 want uh, they want people like grooving and they, they want they want to be selling drinks. So, gotcha. Um, when when I'm DJing at Dukes, I'm I'm I like to spin the hits. Uh, I totally have a record collection that I could play super obscure stuff, and maybe someday. I'll do that like with a radio show or something. But when I'm DJing at Dukes, like I'm spinning like, um, you know, girls on film and or, 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 or success by, you know, Iggy pop mm -hmm. or Bowie or, uh, you know, the stones or, you know, like Linda Ronstadt classics. I, I, I don't know when I'm, when I'm DJing, it's, it's, it, it's the hits because <laughs> I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help the bar sell drinks. Yeah. Well, back to uh, the matter of hand here, and it's obviously pedal steel, is, is, which is an emotive mm -hmm. instrument. But another thing that I've seen mm -hmm. you use, and I've only seen you through video through the Third Man Live thing, was uh, you use an Ebo with your pedal steel setup. Oh, yeah. yeah. How, yep. how do you use yeah. that, and how does that work with your effects and what was going on during uh, so, Altar of Harmony? Well, so I... Um, yeah, the Ebo uh, makes an appearance on the first track on the record. And this, I have to kind of give credit to uh, my good friends, William Tyler and um, Ryan Norris, who plays uh, in a band or a project called Coupler. And they, when we were in college, they were experimenting with the Ebo. And I mean, I knew what it was, uh, but once I saw them use it, I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, and then I you know, got into the Robert Fripp records and the Fripp and Eno stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
um, then I knew that like something with an Evo had to be on this record. <laughs> um, let me uh, let me see if I can do this real quick. I like to use the Ebo with um, with with a good bit of gain. Sometimes it'll be like the Timmy gained up more than usual, or it'll be like the the Dirty Little Secret or or the Wampler um, Euphoria. But let's see if I can get something going here. Um, Everybody knows what an Evo sounds like, but mm -hmm. um, it's it's I, I, I like to use it over, like I said, the pads that I lay down before I when I'm playing through an Evo, I I use I have this uh, we can get to this later, but I have a uh, TC electronic alter ego and it was like the it's it was the limited edition one that uh, Pro Guitar Shop made the yellow one and that's got a really cool slapback sound or like tape delay sound that I use that kind of gives me the uh, the Robert Fripp kind of vibe. So I always use the Ebo with 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 that cool. that like really tight tape delay. Gotcha. Well, what else do you have on your board over there uh, in the Electro Harmonics family? Yeah, so um, yeah, so this uh, I, I so I have two on my pack seat, which I maybe should mention really quick. I have a pack seat that's made by a guy in Little Rock, Arkansas named uh, Dan Rollins and his, the name of his company is um, Steelers Choice, and I um, he he made he kind of like made a uh, a couple little um, we, they call them like you know like the sidekick or si sidecar models. Basically, it's got a, like a lid that I can open up on the side, and I put all of my pedals right next to me to where they're in hands reach and I can like just fiddle with stuff rather than having to lean all the way down or use my feet or whatever. So it's all built in. All of these, everything is like built into where I can set it up and have it within arm's reach. But so the, the, the overdrives and the electro harmonics modeling pedals are on the left. And then on the right is where I have, um, the Strymon, uh, Holy Trinity. Some people have referred to it as, <laughs> um, so I go, I go out of the electroharmonics directly into uh, Strymon Mobius, and that is where it's just, I've got 10 pedals in one with that. I've got the phaser, I've got, you know, like an envelope filter, I've got chorus. Uh, I, I mean, everybody's familiar with, with what the Mobius does, but um, I, I use that for all different kinds of stuff. I, earlier, I was, that's what I was running the orchestra sound through uh, for this, like that slow Leslie, that big, Leslie kind of gotcha. swirl. Um, I've got the timeline. I've got the timeline. Then I've got the big sky. Um, what would you? Also I imagine you use the the Mobius. Were you using the Mobius for uh, like nowhere fast? That that uh, that pedal steel that you played on Margot's song. Uh oh yeah, I'm trying to think what. It's got that phase. Been. Yeah, we used to. So, well, yeah. So we used to open with 
that and I would do that big that big sound that I was just playing um, the orchestra through the Leslie and then so yeah the then I yeah the, the phaser on that song was definitely on this and I came up with my own custom I mean these these are great because you can kind of tweak them and I, I actually have it saved in here as outlaw phaser <laughs> which uh, that's what I came up with this um, and it's that was me trying to match like you know Waylon's phaser sound uh, and yeah that's um, I can show it to you yeah if you let's want, do that because that's that quintessential uh, okay. 70s sound yeah yeah um, So it's that's that's like um, that's like that you know a four stage phaser that I kind of tweaked and came up with and saved on the Mobius, and I use that like whenever uh, sometimes with Margot you know Jamie uh, the guitar player would 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 have phaser on his guitar and kind of have the that Waylon phaser vibe covered and then other times I would do it with you know um, but yeah nowhere fast that's what that would have been it was probably. It was probably this phaser through this alter ego uh, tape delay that I was just telling you about. So I think that's what that was. Cool. What else do you like about the Strymon stuff when it comes to uh, the digital kind of like workstations almost? Uh, I am a huge, huge proponent of, of the Strymon stuff. Obvi I mean, obviously, I think, it, I think it sounds the best. I've got some of the source audio... Um, uh, pedals on my on my guitar board, but these are the Mobius, the Timeline, and the Big Sky. Uh, the interface is exactly how I would lay out a pedal if I was going to do it. Um, and it, this is the only like you know pedal interface that I've ever worked with that. I um, I just love. Usually, there's something I was like, I wish it would do this or this, but these they just they absolutely nailed it, um, and they sound incredible. Um, you know, like that this that outlaw. I mean, that's like a digital effect that sounds exactly like you know an old script ninety. Uh, I mean, if you're willing to take the time and tweak it, you can get any sound you want. Um, and and yeah, I mean they're they're very. Uh, their workhorses, they will, they're, they don't break. <laughs> um, you know, they're really strong, and uh, I don't know, they sound great. And you can you can save a million different uh, presets on them. What kind uh, of? I, mean, it's just a, I was gonna say, what kind of role did they play in your your solo record? I, I can hear some huge. shimmer and some bed. Huge, yeah, huge, huge. Um, I, I would say a lot of the. I, I, everything that I recorded on my on my solo record has probably the big sky on it for sure, the timeline a little bit here and there, and the Mobius. Um, the uh, I would say sometimes I'm using like a one of their presets. They've got some amazing 
uh, cool preset sounds on here. One, one that I use all the time is like a big filter kind of phaser type thing called through space. And I use that all the time. <laughs> um, and, uh, but I guess half the time I'm using one of their presets and half the time I'm using something that I've like come up with and tweaked. But, uh, the through space thing is something that I would use with like the formula 55 or the dirty little secret. Um, let me just show you this. Cause this is what gets you like the, this is what I use a lot of times for like this really super heavy, like death kind of sounds on the, <laughs> and I'll play, I'll play low on the C6 neck. Um, let me see if this works. That's one of their stock presets, and I I love that. So I, I don't know. I'm, a lot of times I, I I'll play that, and people are like, you know, Daniel Lanois. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it's definitely Dan Lau, uh, Daniel Lanois. But that Lanois yeah, that's. Uh, the, yeah, that that's on the Mobius. So. Cool. And and are you normally always having reverb on w with regards to the Strymon? Oh, uh, yeah. Always, yeah. I don't use any amp reverb. Uh, I don't. I just. I don't know. I, I. I get an approximation of the spring reverbs that's on the amps. You know, I like to be able to tweak it based on what I'm doing that day. If I'm in a session, and you can't really tweak too much with the reverb that's on the amps. So, um, but yeah, I've always got um, the big sky on. Always, I've got like I was saying before. I've got three. I've got like a basic plate for kind of like a tighter, shorter um, kind of sound. Uh, and then I've got like a wetter kind of sound uh, that I use when I'm trying to get like John Huey uh, type, you know, Lloyd Green kind of classic 60s uh, pedal steel sounds. And then I've got a million different extended dreamy ambient um, uh, things as well. I've got a spring sound that I use a lot with Teddy and the Rough Riders for that West Coast pedal steel sound. Um, that a lot of, most of these with the reverbs I usually use I have to tweak the presets a lot I don't really use them as they come on the pedal uh, I have to really tweak them um, with the with the timeline delay really I don't tweak those too much I tend to use the presets that it comes with um, but the, the the big sky reverb I'm I don't I don't think I've kept any of the presets as they are <laughs> you'd probably go down some wormholes with those pedals oh yeah and that's what i and but that's what i like and he, like you know and some nights also uh, you know depending on what stage or or wherever we're playing some nights you know i'll the the standard my standard settings just don't sound right on that stage and i gotta tweak them and you know it's probably just me being crazy ocd but <laughs> Uh, I think most people watch. If somebody, if somebody's watching this, they know exactly what I'm talking. Yeah, about. The, you, the, you guys, all, we all share the same infliction, or affliction. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. things are kind of up in the air, obviously, with the rest of 2020. So what what do you got planned? Obviously, you, you've, you've done a few shows at Third Man in the Blue Room for Altar of Harmony. Um, and obviously, you've mentioned that you're working with Orbel. Um, what, what, what else you got going on to keep you busy and, you know, keep you plucking the strings? Yeah. Um, so I guess the first few weeks of quarantine, I did a lot of recording. Uh, I was able to like, you know, just it, it kind of, oh, great. I've got all kinds of days to work on this. And so I got a lot done. And then after the first few weeks, like really when the darkness set in, I kind of, I don't know. I haven't been playing as much uh, as I would like. I, I, um, I kind of have like a little side business that I do. I sell incense or I make uh, incense with essential oils. Um, and I kind of have this scent that I came, I burn a lot of incense here <laughs> and I always, I, I always wanted to come up. There was this specific scent, um, that I always had in my mind that I could never find. And I was like, well, I'm just going to make it myself. What is it? And, um, well, I'm not going to give away the secret ingredients, yeah. but, um, but it's like a, I call it like a mysterious campfire, huh. um, kind of scent. And it's, it's definitely like an earthy woodsy, um, you know, cabin kind of kind of scent. Uh, it's not like perfumey or, or, or like um, sweet smelling really. Not that there's anything wrong with that. People ask me for those all the time. But um, So I've been, uh, the name of the company is called Forestdale and I've been selling a lot that my friends around town and in record stores around town. So I've been kind of trying to build this company and I've been experimenting with making candles and some other uh, beeswax uh, and essential oil based products. Uh, that's been keeping me busy during um, during uh, quarantine, I've been playing a lot of banjo. Uh, that's I, I just I like to play an open G. Pretty much these days, if I'm playing guitar, it's almost definitely an open G. And so with uh, with banjo, I can sit around and like watch TV or <coughs> excuse me, you know whatever, watch CNN like I've been doing the whole past week, and um, just strum a banjo, and then I can translate that to open G guitar as well. Um, that's what I'm practicing more than anything lately, but, um, I don't know. That's what I've been doing in quarantine. <laughs> yeah. Trying to stay busy, keep your mind occupied. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, you know, I, it's the last few days I've been meditating on steel a little bit more. Well, you mentioned, you know, earlier, it's like, is it a meditative state for you when I'm making these drones? And it absolutely is. Um, but, uh, yeah, when, with my instrument practice, mainly through quarantine has been on banjo and like open G guitar and a little bit of dobro. Gotcha. Well, one last question I'll ask you, Luke, is mm-hmm. what, sure. you know, you've been playing now with bands for, you know, on pedal steel for, it sounds like for 20 years, is what, not, mm-hmm. not to be like, what took you so long, but why, mm-hmm. why now 2020, May 2020, when the record came out, was it a time for you to kind of branch off and do your own thing? And make because everything people hear in the record is from pedal steel, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's important that people know that. Like, it, I think I just showed you know kind of like where how I'm making these pads from the, you know the the electroharmonics pedals and creating loops and stuff. But every single thing that you hear on the record is generated by this instrument right here by the pedal steel. There's no um, synth keyboards or uh, or even like a six string guitar. Um, you know, maybe someday down the road I might branch out into that. But the instrument I'm most comfortable with, it, 
the instrument I'm most comfortable expressing myself with is this this guitar right here, this pedal steel. So um, that's where it all comes from. Um, uh, but yeah, sorry, what was the... Well, I the other part was part? like what took you, like what made you decide oh, to finally some, branch yeah, out? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, great question. Uh, a lot of it was just confidence. I, I you know, I was really... I, I don't like being the center of attention so much, uh, especially like on stage. It's taken me, it's been a lot, it's taken me some getting used to being the only person on stage and everyone watching me. And I have light, I have these big light panels that I perform in front of and maybe that helps me feel comfortable knowing that people are looking at the lights uh, and not necessarily me. <laughs> Cause I've always been more comfortable like sitting off to the side and letting Margo or, you know, Lily Hyatt or Caitlin or Orville Peck or, you know, uh, whoever I'm playing with uh, be the center of attention. I just can be over in the corner shredding on steel. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, playing with Margot definitely gave me a lot of confidence to, um, to you know, um, like, yeah, okay, maybe I can do my own thing and maybe people do have an interest in this. And, um, and, and my interest in new age music and ambient music grew to where, like, I've got to do that. I want to make this myself. And like I said before, the instrument I'm most comfortable working on is this. So the other part of why it took so long is probably just like built, like I said before, building the arsenal and getting all of the tools that I needed. Um, it took me years to, you know, just uh, accrue. I mean, these, these Strymon pedals are not cheap. And, you know, I was waiting tables and in between tours and doing tours where, you know, you come back with just enough money to pay rent and buying a, a, a $600 reverb pedal wasn't possible. So yeah. it took me, um, it took me years to, to get all of this stuff together. Um, and, uh, you know, I do feel like if I, you know, if I had unlimited resources to get all of this gear, maybe I w would have been doing it a, a while ago, but you know, it, I, I'm, there was obviously a reason that that all of this came together now. And, um, you know, I'm happy it did. Uh, I would just to touch on my music for a minute. I, you know, uh, with what's going on right now, people keep saying, Oh, this is a great time to put out, you know, an ambient record and, you know, music that's soothing and calming. And, and I'm so glad that people, uh, are saying that, um, I, it's, it, <laughs> I, that, that to me is worth it. If people are able to like, chill out or it help you know is something they listen to while they're doing yoga or meditating or just while they're sitting on an airplane and need to zone out which is what i when i started listening to this music um then it's all worth it to me and if people get inspired to listen to other new age artists and not just chalk up new age as like just a you know tacky you know sort of dorky punchline um there's a lot of great music in that in that genre um maybe if my music inspires people to look at into that stuff, then, then I'll be really happy and I'll have done my part. But, um, you know, I don't claim this with this music. I don't claim that it's like, you know, healing someone. I think there's a lot of new age artists out there who, you know, will say, well, this song is for this chakra and this is for this and this will, help. you know, um, if people want to believe in that, great. I, I, I am not trying to peddle any kind of healing therapies with this aside from, I hope you listen to this and chill out yeah. and uh, and find some peace and calm. And that's kind of the extent of what I'm trying to sell. So. 
So it's very beautiful, uh, Luke. The, the composition you've created throughout the whole record. So it, it's it is very calming to to use that word again. But it is, it's uh, it's very soothing. Thank you, thank you so much. I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm glad it's. It, we need we need a lot of that uh, in this world today. Obviously, this is a time of action, and we need to be. Uh, in my opinion, I think that everyone needs to be engaged and active in, um, in their beliefs and sorting, uh, in supporting um, communities that need to be supported right now. Um, and so I'm not trying to tell people to, you know, hide away and ignore their problems and just, but, but I think at the end of the day, everyone also needs to take a few minutes for themselves and decompress. Yeah, and say decompress that, and that, get some sleep. That's that, right, right. Cause, and that's, um, you know, we're living in supercharged times and like, you know, it's important to be active, but it's also important for, to, I, meditation has really helped me a lot and listening to ambient music has really helped me a lot um, with anxiety. And so uh, hopefully maybe somebody will listen to this and feel those feelings as well. Luke, thank you so much. I, I know you, uh, people will know this because they, they're just seeing the video, but you, you went through a lot to help make this happen with not only having oh, like yeah. everything set up, but also having a producer on site to, to do run audio. So <laughs> I really appreciate yeah, my, it. Everyone at Premier Guitar yep. does, man. Uh, thank you again for joining us. And this is another rig rundown this time with Luke Schneider from Nashville. Thanks, thanks for having me so much, Chris. Uh, it's an honor to be, um, it, I've always wanted to do this and it's, it's just an honor to be a part of this. So thank you very much. Hell yeah, man.